Hi, this is Alex Talcott, and you're listening to American Sunshine. Hi, it's Jay Lucas, and welcome to American Sunshine, the podcast, where we focus on inspirational stories, the power of the human spirit, and that great revitalization going on in our communities and our small towns all across New Hampshire, but really, in truth, all across America. And I'm delighted today to be joined by a really great friend, uh, Alex Talcott, who is not only involved in uh, in a number of varieties of ways here in New Hampshire in the investment community, but also in housing and in real estate and so much more. Uh, welcome to American Sunshine, Alex. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure to talk with you, Jay. And I think one of the fun things about us is, you know, we don't just check in once in a blue moon about, <laughs> hey, how the heck could we uh, give back? We're always talking about pay, paying it forward. Uh, we're kindred spirits as go-givers, not just go-getters. And, you know, we talked for hours yesterday, and hopefully for the benefit of anybody listening today, uh, we'll still have new stuff to chat about. I bet you'll get to know stuff about me and me about you uh, that we've we've yet to ever chat about. That's oh, it's gonna goal. be it's gonna be really fun, and I think for our listeners, as uh, not everybody knows uh, about you, Alex, but I, I think you've got a wonderful story about how you've uh, chosen actually to come here to be in New Hampshire. Uh, you're not only um, have been involved as a in investment management. But also, very interestingly, uh, you have an academic uh, career or bent to you where you've been very successful teaching as a professor at the uh, Southern New Hampshire University, but also at the University of New Hampshire. And I think what's fascinating is that, that I think given your interest in what I'll call giving back, but I think it really is a, an interest in helping people. Uh, that you not only have taken those talents and skills and f begun to focus it on real estate uh, in a way that is not only making investments in real estate here in New Hampshire and beyond, but also to help with our housing crisis, provide uh, opportunities, looking into uh, disadvantaged communities, opportunity zones, and doing so much more. And so I, I really do appreciate that, 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 uh, that part of you, which is very much about giving. Yeah, um, I, I came to New Hampshire originally as an 18-year-old for Dartmouth College, which was my goal. I met my wife there um, at 18. We were engaged senior year. And as the alma mater says, we have the granite of New Hampshire in our muscles <laughs> and our brains. But um, really, you know, two-thirds of our state uh, was born somewhere else. And so, um, yeah, this is a place where most of us live for a good reason. You know, we tend to enjoy some amount of uh, freedom and recreation and community. And uh, it, it's a wonderful place to be. And yes, it's a place where I invest in real estate. I'm in several communities in this state, also invest in nine other states. And it's it's fun to see what we have in common. And uh, federalism is also neat too, uh, to keep the different states honest and competing for my capital affection. Well, you know, on a, on a, our listeners always do like to hear a little bit about the personal journey. I mean, I do. I mean, I find it very fascinating because I know that you grew up in Long Island, found yourself uh, here in Hanover, New Hampshire at, at Dartmouth, 
but and then but didn't didn't come straight back to New Hampshire. But t- tell me a little bit about that. After after Dartmouth, what was your journey, and and how did you make the decision to get back here to New Hampshire, and and how has that how has that been since you've been here? Yeah, you know, um, if Washington D.C. in two thousand three two thousand four were what it is now. And by that, I don't mean like it's, it's function or dysfunction as a, a government. What I really mean is a city that has a, a bit more of a diversified economy, um, has more global cuisine and stuff going for it, but it was probably still really predominantly a government town when my wife, an economics major, was exploring banks. And um, you know, I was the political junkie who might have wanted to go to law school there. Um, or work on the Hill or something. Um, when I was a senior in college, I was pretty much between working on the Hill, law school, uh, divinity school, or journalism. Um, and I went the law school route, uh, which was great. And uh, Notre Dame is really where I wanted to go to law school. It's great like, school. Yeah, the similarities and differences with Dartmouth, they both have rabid, uh, enthusiastic alumni but Notre Dame obviously is in the, the Midwest, more of a sports culture. Um, but really just being in an environment of enthusiasm is just what it's all about for me. I, I don't like with being with people at a school where they feel like they got to do their homework. If it's, oh, they get to learn, then that's much more the uh, positive spirit that I enjoy in learning. And then you, so you graduated law school, uh, then, uh, and where did it go from there? Alex. Yeah. So I went right from college to law school and I had, I had a mix of people in law school, some who worked before. They were the mature people who wore shirts with buttons to class as opposed to like hooded sweatshirts like I was rocking. But Ooh. Um, Ooh. I, I was. It doesn't sound very corporate to me. <laughs> no, no. No, I look like a slacker. You're a slacker, McFly. Um, but uh, I did some growing up and I was really, really fortunate, even though I came out of law school at the beginning of the 07, 08 financial oh, that was a tough time. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, I was so, uh, such a blessed millennial, I suppose. Like I knew exactly what I wanted. I wanted to work for a midsize litigation firm. So I wanted to have great clients and get to actually represent them in court and proceedings, not just be stuck doing document review. Um, I, I learned from the, the partial exposure to law that some other folks I knew at, at big firms or in um, who were hanging out shingles. Um, and so I really had the best of both word, worlds. I was a, a attorney number 19 at a firm right in the Chicago Loop that had Fortune 100 clients. I was in court four days a week. Wow. Now that's, that's, year, that's a pretty... Without supervision. It was great. Well, now you made it to New Hampshire. And uh, so you're here now. We're working together on a number of initiatives around uh, the Sunshine Initiative, actually. Um, you're looking into real estate. Uh, you're on the governor's commission. Uh, you know, you're, you've, you, how did you find that process? Uh, you know, I've, I've asked this of a couple of other guests who have come into New Hampshire, not having grown up here, but, but establishing themselves professionally here, and then actually getting involved in, well, say, the, to, some, to some extent, the politics of New Hampshire. But I think really it's the, the volunteerism and the activism uh, how did you find that process and, and what are you doing now on, with regard to that? You have to like, in New Hampshire, I feel like you have to go out of your way to not know what's going on. I mean, if you really just follow the fundamentals of, you know, reading the local newspapers that we still have, or uh, just sometimes open your eyes. Um, I have a former student of mine this morning who bumped into the governor 
you know, getting a cup of coffee uh, right here in our college town. We have very, very accessible leaders. And because we're the center of the political universe uh, every four years for the first in the nation primary, um, I've had the, the good opportunity to meet um, multiple presidents and because of our higher education institutions, um, sure. I've met the billionaires and university presidents and Nobel Prize winners. And um, a lot of that is just by virtue of, of showing up. Um, that, you know, it's I'm interesting you say person that. And I feel comfortable showing up and asking questions. And, um, you know, sometimes the answers to those questions fascinate me. And I see why these people have achieved the levels that they have. And other times I'm underwhelmed and I choose to reflect on that non-cynically and say, well, heck, maybe I have some contributions to make. And um, you can be quite forward in New Hampshire. You know, showing up is a big deal. There are a lot of times where showing up to be in what appears to folks who haven't had the opportunities demystified, um, like uh, perhaps intimidating or stuffy environments. But a lot of times, if you're just helping to fill a room, you're making the host of the event look good. So you're doing them a favor, even if you sometimes are getting a free meal. Well, you know, actually in New Hampshire, uh, sometimes I think we we don't fully appreciate what a what a treasure we have in the sense of being having access to um, people and opportunities that you just don't find in other parts of the country. But New, yeah, New Hampshire I mean, really is special. There are times where, uh, you know, if you follow the news and you see so-and-so is going to Boston, um, you know, sometimes there are people shilling out 10 grand to have a meal with somebody who um, we get a lot more access to just an hour north. Well, you know, so so one of the things you and I are, I think, um, quite focused on is we re- rebuild the, um, we revitalize communities um, because you're very familiar with what we're doing in Newport. Maybe I'll just do a quick segue on uh, Newport for a second, which is, you know, we have been working on the Newport Sunshine Initiative now for three years. Uh, we kicked it off uh, back in 18. And I'm so excited because, you know, Newport was a, a, um, a town where yeah, a town where I grew up, it's a town of about 6,000 people that had been struggling for the last, really, I think, kind of going in the, a tough direction for the last 10, 20, 30, almost 40 years, uh, and particularly as the interstate had kind of cut it off and was a little bit off the beaten path. And as a result, you saw the, um, the Main Street wasn't the same Main Street, the, you know, that Norman Rockwell, beautiful, bustling Main Street I grew up in. It, um, uh, the, some of the jobs had left town. I think a, a, a spirit of malaise can kind of creep in. Uh, you lose a little bit of hope and, and you see the housing stock and the buildings and so forth just kind of deteriorate a little bit. And um, getting that turned around is no small feat, uh, but we've done that. And, um, and it's really exciting. And by the way, I, or, you know, my wife and I, we don't take all the credit for that by any means. It's a, it's a group team effort, but now that it, it has really turned, we have identified, I think some of the best practices that have allowed us to, for Newport to be successful. We've also learned some things that don't work by the way, but with that put together a playbook uh, that um, we're beginning to share with other communities and, and kicking off three more. And, and by the way, I'll, m- I'll mention these because I know this is an area of commonality, Alex, where you're not only been been looking at real estate as a, as a place to invest in our housing stock in Newport, but also in these three communities. I think they're really important uh, areas, which are Laconia. Uh, so we're going to be in the Lakes region and take the Sunshine Initiative there. Uh, same thing to Rochester, more on the eastern side of the state. 
And then um, I think tackling an urban environment, uh, which I think is very important because if we're going to be taking the Sunshine Initiative National, we really do have to be able to demonstrate and learn what we can do to in an urban environment. So we're also the third place that we're going beyond Newport is Manchester. And we're going to be tackling first uh, the west side of Manchester, that really great uh, part of Manchester that was largely uh, settled by the French-Canadian community uh, and um, just has a very rich culture, a great, uh, great work ethic, and I think just great history and a lot to be built upon. And all yeah, so, I, usually, you know, I like to play devil's advocate, as you know, and even for something as special to you as your boyhood hometown that you put these you know, renewed three years of concerted, um, generous time, energy, and other resources into. Um, I was poking you last night on the notion of, you know, maybe all communities where people have lived at one time uh, need not be saved. You know, we, we see sometimes when there's storm des- devastation of certain areas, you know, maybe they shouldn't live in that coastal area. Now, New Orleans is a whole different area with rich cultural history, uh, no matter what, New Orleans must always be saved. But, you know, public policy, policy questions of whether people might ought to relocate to, to different job centers that evolve over time, I think is a fair question. But sure. what I've noticed in terms of the way that you talk about communities is you're looking for a little something there, um, some sense of uniqueness that makes it really um, worth reviving or helping folks there rediscover. So it kind of almost reminds me of like health research where sometimes the funding doesn't go to um, always the worst health threats. It's almost like the funding dollars go to the area where there's promising um, uh, cures or improvements to be had. So, you know, it's not just the, the, the hardest off of the communities, but the ones that really, really have the potential um, to have uh, some significant upward curve improvement. Well, I guess I, 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 I love your thought, and I would, I think, respond in two ways. Um, there are these towns that are what I'll call off the beaten path. And I think from a logic point of view, some might say that uh, the investment ought to be in the, some of the other places. But, but here are the two reasons why I think that uh, it's very important to have uh, revitalization in some of these smaller off the beaten path communities that are so special. What, one is there is right now, I think, a sea change happening in terms of where jobs can be and where people can actually live very fulfilling lives largely driven by what I'll call the, the, the virtual or global economy uh, based on the internet. So, so you know, no longer do we need to locate uh, jobs and companies in right. small towns for, small, for people in those small towns to have just really fantastic uh, jobs where they can earn a lot of money and they can How take cool care of their families. What might make some of the Zoom towns is the lack of asphalt transportation, you know, cutting through uh, the town or adjacent areas so that some of oh, and the access to the outdoors, the access to the outdoors, to the, uh, the safety of those communities, the ability to, uh, interact with other people in your, get to know other families, uh, kids playing together, being part of the little league teams and the social network. I mean, that's all, see that I think that that global economy just changes everything for these small towns. Um, that, so that's one part of my answer. But my other, the other part of my answer, I think, may be even equally important. And that is, um, in many of these communities, what you'll find is literally a spirit. 
a literally a human spirit uh, that 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 in where people have interacted and there's an attachment to a literally a community like this spirit that actually exists there and that people feel a certain warmth and connectivity to the place where they either grew up or they went to school and and uh, and it's a collective sort of thing. Uh, it's it's important. Powerful. It's important to do business and to have fun with uh, proximate neighbors, even if you are globally connected, because um, the best jobs are going to be being of service to people who we have a connection to. Because you know, while you may be able to perform, you know, graphic design and do logos from just about anywhere. I mean, if you go on Fiverr.com, you're going to find people in Bangladesh doing unlimited revisions for like five to 15 bucks. So, you know, what is going to get people to pay um, good money or the ability to earn good money? They're probably going to have to not be chasing the lowest common denominator of a global economy. They're going to have to have uh, creative, substantial, heartfelt uh, skills and services that outcompete not only uh, folks across the world, but robots and algorithms as well. And um, I'm betting on the people of New Hampshire and our communities to be up to it. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've got some really great opportunities here in the state. And what do you find, uh, you know, you've been looking at Opportunity Zones, Alex. What, what do you find in, in Opportunity Zone areas in terms of the housing stock? Well, first of all, maybe for our listeners, I think it might be great to paint the picture a little bit, your involvement on a statewide basis in this area, and also sure. the degree to which uh, there's a housing shortage in our state. Yeah. Um, and you know, I let people know if, the, if they're venting on expensive real estate and um, lack of workforce housing, you know, that is something that we have... Um, in our state, it's a national problem. Frankly, global shelter is, is a problem as well. Um, but I actually had, had a normative change of mind about the idea of opportunity zones when they worked their way into what's sometimes known as the 2017 Trump tax cut legislation. But the opportunity zone piece of it in Congress was championed by Republican Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina and Democratic Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey, and some of the thought leadership behind it uh, came from a group that includes a former uh, Napster entrepreneur, but also uh, Joe Biden's current chief of staff. So I think Opportunity Zones will continue to be um, alive and well. So all 50 governors had the opportunity to designate certain census-designated tracts that were um, low income or in uh, limited cases, bordering low income census tracts. And uh, regardless, regardless of party of the governors, how many governors do you think appointed such zones? All 50 did. So there are many, many zones across the country that went through different processes of being chosen. And um, in New Hampshire, it's kind of neat because sometimes entire towns, we have such small towns are opportunity zones that have been chosen. In other cases, there are little pockets on, you know, one side of a river that, you know, maybe need some sort of extra incentive for capital to go in there and um, uh, do some building to rehab some housing or, or maybe do some commercial construction or rehab. And um, for some people, it's, it's the elimination of capital gains taxes that gets people interested in certain zones, but other people just like the momentum of, oh... This is some ESG, environmental, social, governmental 
um, investing that's happening. And I originally wasn't so sure that I loved picking winners and losers per se, and some communities being left behind or um, missing out on some benefits and almost being punished for the, the success that happened there. But, you know, frankly, I've come around and anything that is a step in the direction of economic growth and lifting people up, uh, I'm probably okay with. Well, you know, Alex, you know, one of the other things that I think would be really interesting uh, for, I'd, I'd love your point of view on something totally unrelated. And it, and it goes back to your interaction with students, um, because you have, I think, a, a unique perspective on a generation of students because you've been very closely interacting with them across uh, some degree of cross-section. And if you had to had to identify a couple of uh, headlines about how, what you've noticed in, in sort of the, the students that you've been dealing with in, in higher education, uh, what, what would you say about this next generation, if you would, and maybe even how that might be impactful for the state of New Hampshire as well as our country? Yeah, they, um, <clears throat> the word retirement is not something that they know of. And in some ways, it's because they have this lowered expectation that they're going to be mired in student debt forever, and they're, they're just going to have to work until the day they drop. And that's, that's really unfortunate. But then other people who are more positive about it, it's just that word for them almost sounds like a rocking chair on a porch, and they plan on having a very active lifestyle. So financial freedom is very, very attractive um, to my students. And, and I usually teach at business schools. I've, I've taught at community college as well. But the notion of uh, recurring income, um, keeping their minds busy with a side hustle, uh, equity ownership, uh, these are things that students are discovering a lot younger. Students are living more balanced lives where they're in tune with their physical and their mental health not only their financial health, but to the extent that they're aware of their financial health, you know, they know that they're not going to have pensions. So they're kind of creating their own in many cases. And I'm really excited to meet a lot of entrepreneurial students who recognize that being entrepreneurial doesn't mean just going out and starting your own business. That actually might be rather um, like duplicative of other good ideas that are already out there. Um, not everybody needs to go out and uh, help out Vistaprint by buying business cards. There are a lot of other small businesses that no, of course not, yeah. being taken to the next level. And um, if they're given the opportunity to demonstrate some intrapreneurship and uh, grow within the organization, help the organization grow, I hope our forward-thinking employers will make it worth their while to stick around because uh, retention is going to be very important. Well, you know, you're, you've got that view. Uh, I think it's a very positive view on uh, what that means for, for our state and for our country. You know, one of the other things that you and I are both aware of is that while we're focused on New Hampshire, there there are other states and communities around the country where we've had, where we have visibility and what's going on in New Hampshire in terms of our what I'll call challenged economic uh, towns and communities. There are so many of them across the country, and whether you go to upstate New York, or you travel out through Ohio or Southern Illinois, or out into the into uh, Kentucky, and you know just beyond, just everywhere. There are these towns where they 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 have been left behind, and uh, no fault of the people there, because you get some great people who are lacking opportunities. And, um, and you happen to be from so, a town that has like a very quintessential Main Street. Not all small towns have Main Streets per se, but for those that do, you know, store vacancies hurt, and if that vacancy is ultimately you know filled by a, a dollar store, 
you know, sometimes that kind of hurts too. So, um, you know, zoning is going to have to uh, play a role in all this. There are a lot of different um, stakeholders and perspectives that will will need to come together. And it is possible for them to come together in a positive manner because, you know, you've done it with with your initiatives. If you get people together enjoying um, a beautiful lawn and homemade brownies, talking about what's good and could be better in a community, um, that's a lot more fun than a stuffy... Uh, meeting in a government building. Hey, one, one, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it really, is, there are those social occasions that are oftentimes not planned. Uh, they're just uh, very spontaneous. Um, when people do come together and you find out things you might never have found out otherwise, and some overlaps and connections with other people, and just so many serendipitous things do happen when you've got these, it happens in a community like that. One last thing I'd, I'd love to just kind of get your points of view on, because I don't think it's all that well known, but you're involved in a in a housing commission at the state level. May I just talk about what that is, and because I just think it's so important what you're doing, Alex. Yeah, the, the governor by executive order um, declared there would be a council on housing stability in New Hampshire that would have three charges, reduce homelessness, increase affordable housing, and statewide economic development. And when I looked at those three charges, um, I thought that statewide economic development would be uh, kind of difficult to point um, causal fingers to that, like, we could really take too much credit by virtue of our recommendations and actions. Um, Homelessness is so, so important. Right. And... um, but frankly, it happens in really small numbers in this state. So if we're, we're being honest with ourselves, we're holding ourselves to a very, very high standard to improve um, housing stability for um, for communities in, in certain places more than others. But but frankly, it, we don't need to be that hard on ourselves compared to our, our peer states. We're doing okay on that. For me, affordable housing is yep. the one where you can uh, best quantify and be like, okay, if not for these changes or these uh, connections that were made, these units will not be built. Um, that was my opinion, and it was also the the opinion of New Hampshire Public Radio that that was the most significant um, area of our ultimate focus as a council. So, you know, we need thirteen thousand five hundred units in short order in this state to just be um, okay. So, it's really interesting where the council wound up being multipartisan and nonpartisan at the same time. Um, you know, construction and development at different times has been seen as almost this like capitalist Republican thing. But, you know, of course, we want to do it with appropriate environmental sensitivity and other stakeholders involved. But at the end of the day, the objective is um, something that that might one of my colleagues on the council said while receiving a commendation yesterday over in Salem, New Hampshire, the solution to homelessness is homes. We need more houses. We need more homes. We need more uh, workforce apartments. And we also need to take good care of the affordable housing that already exists. So I well, that's, a, that's the, such a great point, Alex. Yeah. I, I worked on the regional uh, working group, uh, one of four working groups of the council. And I also co-chaired the planning and regulatory group. Um, I was one of two private sector people on the, on the council. And uh, the governor even put on the council somebody who ran against him for governor. Andrew Valinsky was on the council. So that's um, terrific. 
so yeah, I, I give the governor the benefit of the doubt that he actually wasn't putting together a bunch of people to kick up a storm of disagreement. And so he could throw up his hands in the air and say, well, I got 35 people who couldn't agree on what to do. So uh, status quo is going to persist. Um, I'm, I'm very, very proud of the report that we completed by the end of June. And it's available online um, at our at our website. Uh, everybody should check it out. If you're Where do interested. we find that, Alex? Um, let me see if I can get the exact URL for you. Um, maybe we could just include it in the show notes. I don't know it off the top of my head. But if you Google yep. no. New Hampshire Council on housing stability, you'll see that we have a standalone website that has the membership that came together, the report that we composed. And um, I would love for folks in other states to take a look at it because I certainly put some of my research assistants to work and uh, looked at uh, some peer states as well. So uh, we were doing something that was not reinventing the wheel, was taking best practices uh, such that hopefully what we accomplish is seen as a best practice for other states. Well, congratulations on that. And and as we wrap up here on American Sunshine, Alex, I just want to say thank you for, for being with us. But I, more than that, thanks for all that you're doing here in the Granite State, because really the New Hampshire advantage is, is alive and well, and we want to keep it thriving uh, going forward because our, our live free or die spirit is so important to us here in New Hampshire. Well, thank um, you for helping to give me some stuff to do, You know, giving me an invitation to either say yes or no to, and I tend to say yes. And so thank you for the invitations. Well, we're we're delighted to have your participation and your spirit, and we're looking forward to uh, working together on many things going forward. So, uh, Alex, thank you so much, and thank you all for American Sunshine.